Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. In this episode around self-care for tough times, Susie Redding and I will really muse on what's the difference between self-care, self-compassion, and self-pity. And how, when you're looking after yourself, you're not taking yourself off the hook or being self-indulgent, you're just simply meeting yourself where you're at. So we talked about how during these tough times of COVID-19, it's really, really hard to make wise choices and do things that are healthy and caring for you. So when you realize that you've been going off track, it's important to go gentle on yourself rather than to be tough on yourself and steer back to choosing more healthy habits. And Susie shows you some micro moments of how you can nourish yourself, even when having very little time and very little energy. On with the show. So welcome to the show, Susie. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Kayla. It is a great joy. Well, we've had a lot of conversations uh, over the, the few years we've known each other now, I think. We're both on the, the Nourish app team, and we also live quite close from each other actually don't we it's only like mm-hmm. a 10 minute ride on the train isn't it so mm-hmm. I thought it'd be amazing to have you on the show given the current circumstances we're in you know we've all been through a shitstorm, to to say the least of the last four months so I wanted to bring you on to think a little bit about self-care for tough times but before we dive into that in terms of you know any specific wisdom or little tools and tips that you can provide the listeners I also want to hear a bit more about you you know, hearing a bit more about your story, because this podcast is also very focused on how we each learn from our journey, not just bringing out wisdom for the people we serve, but also what have we learned? What wisdom have we gained? So I would love to hear a bit more about your story of, you know, who you serve and and why, why you're now in the UK, because people hear from your lovely accent that you're not born here and things like that. So just tell me a little bit more about your story. Okay. Um, well, professionally, uh, I'm a chartered psychologist. I'm a qualified yoga teacher. I'm also, in a previous life, I was a, a personal trainer for a decade. And I'm really passionate about empowering people with the tools of self-care to help them manage their stress, their emotions and their energy. So that's what I'm all about. But as you so beautifully point out, you know, it's more than qualifications and, um, you know, professional stripes. It was my life experience that led me to this particular offering. And really, it was my life experience that made sense of all of those different modalities and and pulled them together into one coherent offering, which is all around self-care. And and that life experience was when I became a mum, I lost my father. And it was it really was a long, drawn out period of stress, which which actually feels quite similar to the variables that we're all thrust into right now where we don't have the same space, the same time, the same energy, the same personal freedom to go out and nourish ourselves in the ways that we used to. So the toolkit that I learnt the hard way by letting self-care fall away but also by not really knowing how 
to 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 fill up my energy bank when I I didn't have those usual resources. This is what I'm really excited to be able to share with people. Things that don't take time, things that don't take energy, things that don't cost anything, things that we can do as a family that we can teach our kids that help us navigate stress, loss and change because that is what this period is for us all. Absolutely. I think the I mean the excruciating the tough times we've had with COVID-19 then your most recent book self-care for tough times it came out during this this period and and obviously there was no way of you knowing that um before and nobody could have known that we were going to face this tough time but sometimes that's just fortunate that things come out when they're most needed. And we're going to come to that in a minute as well but I think going through these tough times if we don't face them with compassion if we don't face them with kindness with ourselves they're going to be much harder to go through and have you seen that in your in your community in your in your audience in your clients that people tend to resist that uh, tendency that need to be kind to themselves do you see that people find that hard to do absolutely i think this is um it's a very common misconception people think that and i thought in the past that to step up and to garner good performance to to really you know to make good decisions that i need to be tough on myself i think that's what people generally think you've got to be tough on yourself to to stick to the the straight and narrow but really what i'm learning in my own experience and and this is a long journey you know from from competitive ice skating days to becoming a mum it's it's all all these threads coming together but also in um in reading research in psychology positive psychology looking at specifically willpower that self-forgiveness self-compassion tenderness these are the things that really help us get out of our own way and i i really do think that flies in the face of what people expect but um that is something i really uh, try and communicate in all of the different practices all of the different activities the rituals there it's you know it's not just you know a, a face massage or a yoga pose or a mantra all of these things the key ingredient is extending towards yourself compassion and tenderness and kindness and from that place truly beautiful things blossom and this is what i say time and time again in my own life and in, in in the lives of the people that i work with and the lives that i interact with you know in the community that um i have the great pleasure of 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 being with on Instagram. And so it's almost like you want to reframe that from being tough on your times to get through or being tough on yourself to get through tough times, reframing that to being gentle with yourself when you're going through tough times. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reframe. Absolutely. You know, harsh self-criticism, harsh judgment, that doesn't help you step up. It actually becomes a block. It diminishes your feeling of of self-esteem and confidence it actually makes it harder to make good decisions now that's the, that's the really interesting thing about the the research on willpower if if this sounds interesting i want to just take a quick look at it absolutely in the experiment people were put into two different conditions um one in which they were primed to be tender in their self-talk to to cultivate self-forgiveness and kindness and the other condition was primed to be tough on themselves judge judging their their actions and their thoughts now the really fascinating thing is the the researchers then 
put a bunch of M&Ms in front of these two different conditions. And the people who had been primed for self-forgiveness indulged far less than the people who'd been primed to be judgmental and tough on themselves. And that is, that's the prime example of it's really hard to make good choices. And that's what self-care is. That's what stress management and energy management is. It's, it's being able to delay gratification in the moment to tend lovingly to your future self. Really hard. But we do that best by talking to ourselves with tenderness and kindness and giving ourselves time and space to feel our emotions and, you know, just being a normal, fallible human being. That is so fascinating with the with the M and M experiment. Just really yeah. showing that I hadn't read that piece of research. Actually, it's fascinating, and it really shows us that no, it's not taking yourself off the hook. No, it's not pitying yourself. No, it's not indulging in yourself. It's actually holding yourself gently accountable, uh-huh. so that you can make the wisest choice for you in that moment, going towards a life that's going to be meaningful and matter to you. And for some of us, that is obviously having a nice treat, having an M&M, but not overindulging in it. Because often people tell me that, that, you know, self-compassion must mean that you're pitying yourself or that you're feeling sorry for yourself. What are your thoughts around that? I think it's poorly understood as a concept, very similar to the misunderstanding around self-care. From my understanding, self-compassion or compassion is sensitivity to suffering coupled with a desire or motivation to help someone avoid or alleviate it. So pitying would be just being sensitive to the suffering and, and, and wallowing it. But compassion is more than that. It's coupled with action, with a desire or a motivation to, to help alleviate it. So that, I think, is, is the key defining factor. Yeah? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's that sense of that self-compassion is then – the umbrella term it's almost like the motivation with which we turn towards ourselves and our own pain and suffering wishing ourselves to be well to be happy and to be kind to ourselves and then mm. the self-care can be the actions we take to try yes. to look after ourselves yeah absolutely so the, the compassion piece is is almost like the mindfulness the awareness that the checking in because you, you've got to first acknowledge your needs before you can meet them so mm-hmm. the two go hand in hand. And yes, self-care is the nourishing action. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a nourishing practice or an activity or a ritual. It can be a skill, but it's still an action putting that skill into, into use in daily life. So no wonder that the book, uh, the first book that you wrote was called The Self-Care Revolution, because mm-hmm. you're revolutionizing the way we think about self-care as as driven by I guess a deep wish for yourself to be well and and that you deserve kindness that you are worthy of being treated well rather than thinking that self-care was just the actions because if it's not based on the sensitivity to your pain that you'll be taking you know you'll be doing stupid self-care or stupid compassion where you'll be thinking oh I must must run every day as a way to keep fit and healthy but not tuning into the fact that you need a rest it needs to be purposeful. It needs to be mindful. And it, it, this is an art form. That's that's why I was in two minds. I wanted to call the book The Art of Self-Care. And then yes. the publisher suggested Self-Care Revolution had had lots of guts to it. And I thought, yeah, that's true. I do want to revolutionise how people view looking after themselves because, you know, that that had been my role from the very beginning of my professional career as a personal trainer. It was, it was teaching people how to look after themselves. 
Mm. And I, I loved that in that role, you know, there was no hesitance. People were like, yep, I want to work on my physical body and I'm prepared to do the work. But when mm. it comes to emotional and mental health, there, there are so many barriers. People say, oh, I'm all right, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> when we yeah. all need nourishment along those lines. And the other reason why I, I really wanted to write that book is that if I could land up flat on my back in a state of what I call energetic bankruptcy, as a psychologist, as a yoga teacher, as a health coach, if I could find myself in that, that position, no one is immune. You know, it literally, it doesn't matter what resources and tools you have at your fingertips reach. I think it's, you know, until you've really identified the purpose of self-care and have an extensive self-care toolkit because we need different things in tough times, you know, it's not unusual to find yourself feeling low, feeling frazzled, you know, nervous system on the fritz, you know, disturbances to mood and quality of thinking as well as a whole host of physical ailments. That's what I wanted to write the book to, to really help people understand more about what self-care is, why we need it, and importantly, how to do it. So that book was really born, not just from your wish to help others be well, but also from realizing that despite your best efforts, despite all the tools, you found yourself as affected as any other human being, knowing that we we psychologists aren't immune to uh-huh. uh, to strains and stresses in our life. And, and I guess your father's illness and then becoming a mother, there were two major life stresses that anyone, if you rounded up 10,000 people, the majority of them would have struggled with that. And this is where, why I find you know the term resilience a little bit challenging sometimes, because it points to the sense of resilience lies just within you and ignores the context or the toxic environment that you may be finding yourself in. How do you feel about the word resilience? I think it's a really interesting one. You know, as a parent, I want to raise resilient kids, but at the same time, I want to raise compassionate kids. Mm. I, I, I want my children and I want to be able to bear witness to my emotions, to give myself time and space to heal and, and I can remember having conversations with a postnatal depression counsellor um, in the wake of, of my dad's terminal illness and, you know, baby that didn't sleep for more than two hours at a stretch. And, and I can remember saying, I don't know if this is grief. I don't know if it's postnatal depression. I don't know if it's just exhaustion. And she said to me, it, it really, it doesn't matter in a lot of ways because you are just having a very normal human response to an extremely taxing set of variables and the whole notion in that moment of resilience would have felt really like I'd failed. But you have to allow yourself to be human. And, yeah. you know, in the absence of an opportunity to sleep in chronic stress, I mean, my dad survived for 15 months. So it was in and out of intensive care and, and mm. visiting him in, in care homes. And it was incredibly traumatic all round. But from that experience, I would say that... I have carved a toolkit that has really enabled me to weather life's curveballs with with greater um, poise. And to be honest with you, the situation around the birth of my second child wasn't that much different. We we just mm. you asked me at the beginning of our conversation how I ended up in the UK. So originally, I met my husband here in the UK. I, I grew up in Australia. Um, I wanted to go back to, to Sydney to start a family and he was all up for that. So that's what we did. I thought it would be nice and easy having a family near my, my parents and in Sydney. And yeah. my goodness, <laughs> it didn't turn out to be the case. But we, we stayed in Sydney for five years. 
Um, that's where I had Charlotte. Um, but we ended up moving back to the UK because after my father's passing and having the opportunities to, to spend that last chapter with him, it became very clear that um, Dave's father, my husband's father, wasn't very well. And I wanted to give him the same opportunity to be close to mm. his family. So we moved back here to the UK. Um, in the interim of making that decision, I fell pregnant. So when we actually arrived here, I was 12 weeks pregnant and um, Charlotte was just about to start school. So, and again, you know, the variables were crazy. International relocation, birth of a child and, and losing Dave's dad. He, thankfully, he did get to meet Ted, our, our second child. So it was all worth it. But my goodness, it was, it was again, it was like waiting through treacle, but because I had a fresh perspective on self-care, because I, was, I wasn't going to let maternal guilt stop me from nourishing myself, and mm. because I had a whole new take on how I could look after myself, that's the thing that allowed me to weather it more effectively. So it still hurt. I still struggled. But I was able to get back on my feet sooner. I didn't stay down as long. And I guess that's the, the power of post-traumatic growth. That when we go through hardship, that the, all the hurdles that you've went through, that there was a point of learning, there's a point of regrowth and getting yourself back up again, rather than assuming that the fact that I fell down means anything about my own personal capability. It's just anyone would have been falling over. Absolutely. That I think that's a bit around resilience, which can be missing sometimes when we think of resilience as the capability to always be standing up. Mm. I think more as the capability to pick yourself up again when you've fallen down. You know, I think that's so insightful, Michaela. I'm really glad you've given voice to that and you've got me thinking differently about it. I think quite often it's it's not until our health or someone near to us, mm -hmm. their health has been seriously compromised, that we understand just how vital it is to look after ourselves mentally, emotionally energetically and physically mm -hmm. so I think it's that thirst that might sort of reawaken this awaken this sense of ah <laughs> this is why I've got to pay attention and be proactive so let's not feel guilty about that no absolutely yeah? not and I think you you touched upon that maternal guilt as well that, that a lot of women obviously face when they come parents and get torn in all directions and I just want to reminisce on when I first picked up the self-care revolution um it was my first night away with my husband after we had our child can't even remember how old he was he was a, a year or two two years maybe something like that and we had a hotel nights uh booked and my my dad was kindly having my son overnight because at that point he obviously wasn't sleeping through he's almost four is still not properly sleeping through so I hear you on the uh, the, uh, the hardship of sleep deprivation through motherhood. And I remember thinking, oh, this has been really lovely. I'll bring this sort of little nourishing book by my friend Susie that's just come out. Yes, I must have been in 2017 then. So my son must have been in mm -hmm. about a year and a year and a half. And we were in this lovely place with a pool and everything. And I, I went into our lovely hotel room and I started looking through your book. And I read the, the, the first few pages of it, the foreword, and I just started bawling. I just, tears just came into my eyes because it was just so strong, so powerful of how you described your journey. And as a fellow psychologist, I think most of my friends who are psychologists are held back by this belief that we are somehow superhuman and do not get affected by the stresses that the clients that we serve are affected by. And when I read your book, it just gave me that permission, that release that, you know what, I've struggled too. 
So instead of having mm. this lovely romantic time at that moment, I just sat there bawling and it was just so mm-hmm. good because it released some of the hardship I'd been through. So and I just mm. thank you for just writing the forward in a very honest, vulnerable way rather than like, here I am the expert of all things mental and physical well-being. Here are my tips because I think that's making it less accessible rather than the way that you deliver it makes it a lot more real and vulnerable and like saying, hey, I've struggled too. These are some of the things that can be helpful, but you're not going to never struggle. You're not going to never fall over. Mm. Is that what drew you to the Nourish app as well? Yeah. Gosh, you know, it was it was such a long time between first conversations about the Nourish app with Sarah, the founder, and, and, and it coming to fruition. I just wanted to make it accessible. And I just knew that for, for mums, it's, it's such a tough journey that, you know, when I first became a mum, I don't feel that there was the open, honest dialogue that there is no. now. And thank goodness for that. I mean, there's still an awful lot of pressure on, on mums and, and a sense of, you know, if you look at what success means before having children, it's like, you know, if you work hard, you'll get a good result generally yeah. in, in everyday life. But with motherhood, you can throw everything you've got, every cell and fibre of your being at trying to get your child to, to sleep or to feed or to settle. Or <laughs> and we can't do any of those things. We can't make them sleep. You can't make them eat. My goodness, it's it's so jarring, isn't it? We've got to redefine what success means as a, as a parent. But also this whole notion of, of having to be completely selfless to be a good mother, I think, is just so damaging. The fact is we're all human beings and we all need we need the basics, what I call the energy bank basics, to be able to function as an organism. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I, I knew that my impulse as a, as a, as a new mum was I wanted to give everything I could to my baby. Yeah, of course. But I learned really quick, <laughs> really quick smart that motherhood ain't a sprint it's a marathon and it's not just really in their babyhood that they need you I still need my mummy now I'm in I'm in my mid-40s so we we have to nourish ourselves if we want to keep giving and keep going and it's not just for our children you know we deserve health and wholeness too it's it's fundamental yes and so important to acknowledge that that we're not just replenishing ourselves so that we can give more to others we're replenishing ourselves because we deserve it full stop because you deserve to be well to be actually taking some joy and then fulfillment and enjoyment out of your parenting not every day because there's a lot of shitty times of motherhood and parenthood um nobody (laughs) i still remember the the time my husband changed a nappy and my son kicked him so his glasses flew over and landed in the poo um no that is not a highlight and joy of parenting that we will treasure forever but (laughs) (laughs) that's just they're just they're just shitty moments quite literally but if we're able to also refill our cup somewhat uh, and then we are able to keep giving as well as also have something left for ourselves so we're not feeling that need for uh, you know, mummy needs a glass of wine every single evening. And that sort of sense of self-care that, that actually is actually quite self-destructive. And I'm not, not saying yeah. that there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine or a glass of gin. But if we build a culture around that, that that's almost yeah. building a toxicity around that. I need to keep doing things that are harmful to be yeah. able to cope with the next day. What are your thoughts around that kind of culture? Absolutely. You know, that goes right to the heart of what I, why I wanted to write self-care for tough times. It's because so often when we're squeezed by life, that's when we turn to 
compensatory behaviors, yeah. um, crutches, things that help us cope in the moment that in, in the long run do us more harm. And those things that we habitually reach for are our mobile phones, alcohol, coffee, chocolate, numbing out with TV, numbing out with online shopping. These things are not self-care. They, they don't enable us to cope in the long run. Mm-hmm. So when you look at what self-care is all about, self-care is health care. It's helping you cope in the moment. It's helping you restore and heal. It's giving you a protective, somewhat protective buffer against the next curveball. It's also allowing you to step up and be a, a version of yourself in which you can take pride. It's nurturing you in this moment and the person that you are becoming. That's what makes self-care so hard when we're being squeezed by life because that's when we just want to take the easy option or I just want to sit on the sofa, have a brain fade and fill my face with chocolate and red wine. Yeah, It feels good in the moment, but, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm tossing and turning because my body's processing all of those toxins, you know, I'm not going to thank myself for that choice and I'm certainly not going to be grateful at 9 o'clock the next morning when <laughs> I've got clients and I've got kids and, oh, it's it's really, really challenging. Mm. But we do need things that are that are simple that we can use in their place, and and that's really where um, self care for tough times came from. So this is probably not the best time for me to tell you uh, the number of Kit Kats I ate during lockdown, right? <laughs> You'd be in very good company. Do you know what? I've actually got to a point where I I've got to stop buying whole nut chocolate because I I cannot I cannot help myself if it's there in the fridge and I see it. It's like, oh, I'll just have a little piece of that. It's I I'm no different, mm-hmm. but I just I just know that if I buy other things for other people, I can I can abstain from those things. So I just know I've got to stop buying that because wowzers, yeah, yeah, lockdown and 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 making sustainable healthy habits, it's tough. It really is tough. It was really tough, and I guess you know we're not out of the woods with it yet, but. Mm-mm. For a lot of people, the the first sort of intense period of trying to figure out what on earth is going on, what's expected of me, trying to set up to work from home or juggle children on top of working or being furloughed or made redundant. It's been, you know, I think I've used the word shitstorm because it feels like it's covering it better than unprecedented times, really. And I guess it's so important to acknowledge there that even though it's easier to make uh, unhealthy choices because, you know, we know that's tried and tested. Uh, it's easier to eat Kit Kat on the sofa. What do we do when we realize that, oh, goodness me, I've been living in a way that hasn't been so sustainable? You know, when you're realizing that I need to break this pattern of the of the sugar or of the caffeine mm-hmm. or of the lack of sleep or whatever it is that you've been doing to yourself, the, the, the mummy wine in the evenings, and you think, actually, I want to cut back a bit on this. How do you help people mm-hmm. understand how they can, A, forgive themselves for the unhealthy habits or choices they made during lockdown, because I'm pretty sure that all of us did, and B, mm-hmm. how do they progress forwards coming into a healthier track? I think there are a couple of steps to that, and I'm so glad you've asked this question. It's so important that we talk about it. This is not easy stuff. Building healthy habits really requires a great deal of energy and focus and commitment, and in tough times... You know, we've just been squeezed from all angles. We need to go gently on ourselves and we're still in the midst of it. We're not out of the woods yet. Mm -hmm. When we do want to create change, I think number one is recognize that you are just one normal, fallible human being. No one gets it right all the time. And you've got to take into account the resources available to you, right? So this is not the time for grand sweeping changes. Mm -hmm. 
Then the second thing is to, and I think that sort of helps to unlock our capacity to just forgive ourselves. I, I, I call it throw, throwing ourselves a bone. Just throw yourself a bone. Yeah. <laughs> just go gently on yourself. That's step one. Step two with it is then to sort of connect the dots and take a look at what are the choices that you're currently making and what are the consequences of those choices? Because we've got to own it. No one else is going to do this for us. We've got to own it and we've got to see, see it for what it is. Does this serve us? And if it doesn't, you know, it's at what cost do we not do something differently? And then there's that next step of if you want to feel differently, you've got to do things differently. And that's where it's a very specific thing where you can break it down. And I think it's very important in terms of willpower that you don't try and make too many changes all at once. Yeah. What works better is just small incremental waves of change, but it just needs to be done very tenderly and anchored in purpose. It really helps to know why you're doing it because that's the thing that will dial down temptation. That's the thing that will help you make better choices more often. And that's what this is about. I don't aspire to lead a life devoid of chocolate and red wine and the rest of it. But I just, I know what kind of boundaries to that are necessary for me to be able to enjoy those things, but also to be able to be who it is that I aspire to be professionally and in my personal life. Yes, of how you show up in, in areas where it matters the most. And I guess if you drank yeah. three glasses of red wine every night and binged on chocolate, that would have an impact on how you show up with your kids, how irritable you are. I know you often re kind of refer to as shouty mum comes out. Um, oh. And it would impact on how you are with your clients, how, how able you are to concentrate in the morning, sitting in front of a Zoom call or whatever it is that we all do at this this point. And I think it's important there to acknowledge that that step by step fashion that, you know, we now is not the time for big things. Um, I, I sort of lured into signing up to Joe Wick's program, the nine today thing that he does. And I love Joe mm -hmm. Wick's. He's fantastic. I love his his story, the the graft and the hardship he's went he's gone through. But I realized that during lockdown, when I was juggling the mental well-being of of everyone I support, as well as my own mental well-being in a shitstorm. And my child being on top of me 24-7, now was not the time to make mm -hmm. big gestures of getting fit or healthy and, you know, overhauling my entire diet. So instead, I chose to do things like I'm going to start the day with a glass of water so that I'm mm -hmm. before I start working, I'll just make sure I down one big glass of water and that might help a little bit with the bloat and things like that. And then when you incorporate a small tangible thing at a time, once that becomes a habit, you can layer it up with something else. Is that sort of what yes. you mean? That you would very Absolutely. take very quick steps and small steps. Absolutely, totally. You've nailed it. I think there are two two different approaches that that I recommend. There, one is the micro moments approach, mm. where it's just about topping yourself up energetics energetically. So there's there's an there's an opportunity to to vent if you're feeling full up or you're stressed. To, to dissipate the energetic charge of anxiety or just to kind of, you know, blow out the cobwebs. And you can dot your day with these things. So it's kind of like having a little menu of little nourishing practices that just help you through your day. Now, that sort of obliterates this notion that self-care, you don't have time for it or you don't have the energy for it because there are a whole bunch of things that require no energy. But it needs to be written down for us, and that's why I've written so many books on it. Yeah. <laughs> Because you need to give people a buffet. <laughs> That's right. Choice really does help. 
The second approach would be to look at what are the things that you are doing in everyday life and how can we make those more nourishing? Mm. So this is another way that we can lay our self-care throughout our day. You know, the way that we dress ourselves, the way that we greet the day, the way that we have a shower, the way we eat. It's, it's looking at what is the scaffolding that we need in our day to be able to, to perform in a way that, that we aspire to. Yeah. And that's great because then you're building on what people already have in their repertoire. You know, you're just gently yep. tweaking it to be more nourishing, maybe a bit yes. slower and a bit more mindful. And I love your concept of micro moments. I frequently steal it when I work with my clients or borrow, one should say. Um, share it. You share it. And I'm I share it. For that. And uh, I think, can you give any more examples of what kind of micro moments people could start to introduce right now if they were listening to this yeah. and they think actually... I want to do what this woman is talking about. Can she give some something concrete to, for us to do now in these tough times? Totally. Um, I've got a couple of favourites. I think posture has such a powerful impact on how we feel. So the first thing would be to just, just be aware of how you're holding your body. And if you've lost your neck, yeah, that will have an impact on the things that come out of your mouth and mm. the kind of thoughts that are floating through your head. So I would recommend some kind of, it's the chicken wing shoulder rub where you yes. put your fingertips on your shoulders, you breathe in, sweep your elbows up and breathe out and take them back and down. And you do that maybe three or four times. And with that, you're setting the intention to drop your day from your shoulders. And if listeners can give that a go now, oh, it lightens the load. I've just done it. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's so powerful because one, you're, you're harnessing the potent antidepressant effects of movement. You're releasing physical tension and physical tension does, you know, pain makes us grinchy. It makes us painful. So you're releasing tension in the shoulder joint. It helps you breathe better. And the mantra there is when you breathe better, you feel better. Mm -hmm. And it lifts you in, into that tall upright posture, which naturally creates a feeling of zest, presence and optimism. So there's one. You can do that while you're sat at the computer. You can do that. You know, in between chopping the vegetables, yeah, you can, whenever you need a little micro break, that's a powerful one. Another one that I like is, well, there are lots of different practices involving touch. And I think touch is, is really undervalued. So you could look at, okay, if you apply moisturizer in the morning, you can slap it on and not even notice it, or you can tenderly apply it and it can be a real soothing, nourishing ritual. You're doing it anyway. It's it's how you do it that makes such a difference. Yeah. Or with all this hand washing at the moment, uh, my goodness, and the hand sanitizer, cracked knuckles, painful skin. We need a little nourishing ritual there. So we've all got a hand balm somewhere at the bottom of every handbag, right? Seek one out with a scent that you love and really tenderly rub that in after you wash your hands. So it's kind of piggybacking habits. Mm. It's It's making the most of little available chunks of time like when the kettle's boiling what can you do can you do a single yoga pose can you do a, a breathing practice for three breaths or what can you do while you're having a shower can you repeat a mantra or can you think about one happy thing that's going to happen in your day even if it's getting into bed at the end of it right mm -hmm. simply so simply done but these things really are powerful 
And I love that concept of piggybacking because it means it's easier for your brain to remember it. If you are already established in a habit, like hopefully brushing your teeth twice a day, then you can piggyback on that established habit uh, and, and doing something that you think, I'm going to do that straight after I brush my teeth because it's easier to trigger that as a response. So these are great micro moments, great little tangible tips that people can try. And obviously, if they look in your books, there's so much in there. I mean, and it's it's so applicable even for, for really young children. And I think I told you that last summer when uh, Stand Tall Like a Mountain came out, that even my son, who was then two and a half, was able to engage with some of the things from your book. And it's, it's just so powerful that when we show our children how to do these things, ultimately, we also learn ourselves. We, we give time and, and space for practicing. I guess I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. Which one is your favorite book of the ones that you've written? Which one means the oh, most to you? Oh, that's so hard because they all communicate different things. I feel really proud of Self-Care for Tough Times because I think I've taken a much deeper look at the yeah. nature of self-care. And I, I wanted to I wanted to dive into the, the nature of stress, loss and change and look at what are the skills that enable us to navigate these experiences? And I think just by naming these skills, things like, well, to navigate stress, you've got to learn how to relax. And to yeah. be able to relax, you've got to come home to your body. And to, to, to do the, the work of grief, you've got to feel your feelings. So it's this capacity to bear witness to our feelings. And if you want to navigate change, well, then we've got to be able to, you know, navigate loss. And, 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 and make peace with an ending before we can embrace something new. So I'm really proud of it for that reason, because I think it's, it's, it's a departure from a lot of books on self-care, which is like, here are a hundred different things to do. I wanted to look at yeah. why you do them. Yes. So it's really empowering people with insight into how they can support themselves and learn and grow and, and encourage others to do that. Yes. But then I'm so glad you mentioned Stand Tall Like a Mountain because what I'm really loving about that is that what I'm hearing time and time again is that when people sit down with their children to create the toolkits that I recommend throughout the book. Now, the toolkit is basically it's when I feel lonely, then I will dot, dot, dot. And I love that children are saying to their parents, I could do this or I could do that. Parents are thinking initially, oh, my goodness, I've got to come up with lots of different options for my kids and I'm not sure how to do this but you co-create it with your kids. So I'm just so excited to hear about these conversations that people are having about mental health, emotional health, about supporting our children and, and supporting ourselves, supporting our families through challenging life experiences and big emotions because this is life, isn't it? Yeah, it's it just really life. is. Just life. Um, and that was the, interestingly, that you mentioned that because all I'm hearing is that, yes, she's making space for the misery. We need to talk yeah. about the misery of life and not just the, the the beautiful, glowing moments of life as well. And interestingly, this podcast was initially supposed to be called Living Life Light and Dark. And I was advised that that would put people off because it would be the dark would sort of scare people. And I think we, we need to talk about everything. You know, we can't mm -hmm. talk about motherhood and parenthood without talking about fear and uncertainty and, and feeling out of control and all of those things and loss. Mm -hmm. And we can't mm -hmm. talk about, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors, you know, being a business owner or training or providing care for others. We can't talk about those things without talking about the, the hardship as well. It's mm -hmm. everything you've built, you've obviously built through hard work. So coming sort of towards the end of our chat, and I could chat with you for hours, I'm sure, but 
because you've done all of that, you've achieved so much. You know, you're you're multi-talented. You're a psychologist and you have your past experience of being a personal trainer and even an ice skater. You know, I did not even know that about you until we booked this appointment to to speak. You've written multiple books. You have a you know, strong following on social media, two kids. How do you manage to switch off and find, you know, pause and rest and recovery for yourself? And if you struggle with this, you know, what gets in the way for you personally, if you dare to be so vulnerable? Oh, I'm very happy to be vulnerable. Um, Do you know what? I have felt guilty in the last couple of months about going to do a grocery shop. How nuts is that? Mm. (laughs) It's it's just so hardwired into us. There are so many things that I do to soften into the moment. It's it's repeating a mantra. It's being with the breath. It's just placing my hands across my heart and saying, I feel my breath come home. I can be here for myself. The company of kindred spirits is just so galvanizing. Mm. And in this time apart, you know, I I saw friends for the first time last night. That's the first time I've actually oh, goodness me. seen anyone, you know, yeah. other than, you know, across from a you know a grocery aisle to actually sit in a socially distant circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was amazing. But you can do that. You can do that by plugging in and it's you know, it's little text messages to my mum or um, savouring nature's beauty. There are so many different ways. And I just, I've, I've got, I've become very skilled at finding the opportunity in literally any moment just to go, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I can, I, I can, I can be tender towards myself. And I think for people that are having a really hard time with it, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to love yourself, but just be tender towards yourself. I think that's the way in. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to do those things in those little pockets or opportunities, that comes with practice. That's not going to come natural to people. So you need to start with practicing these things when you're not necessarily distressed in order for you to be able to make it a habit that you can bring into your distress when you really, really need it. And obviously, we've talked a lot about pausing and finding stillness and relaxing and switching off and we've talked a lot about doing things purposefully um but what about play obviously the podcast is called pause purpose play for a reason so how do you Mm -hmm. play Susie what's sort of creative or fun or innovative for you do you know this is it's a great question I I absolutely adore my work so much that I have to be careful that I don't do it all the time (laughs) yeah it's that that I find is a real struggle um, you know, when I read, I generally read books about psychology. Um, so it's it's little moments like watching my kids dance or I, I love being in nature. I find that really soothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love using scent. You know, these are things that, you know, I can be playful with. Mm. Um, here's a guilty pleasure. I've been enjoying watching The Next Step with my kids. It's a dance show. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds so good. It's such fun. It's just such escapism. And um, oh, I I'm really looking forward to going and having an ice skate again. Yeah. But that's something that's just not possible right now. But I do it in my mind's eye. That's, that might be a really strange way of playing, but I actually I imagine doing those same routines again that I did all those years ago. You know, but that's <laughs> not so strange, though, because we know that the power of visualisation it means that you can experience the same feelings and the same physical sensations as if you were doing it live. You know, thinking of a mm. chocolate cake will get your gastric juices flowing and preparing you for digestion, even though there's no cake there. So we can think about 
all the things we miss, all the things we have taken pleasure from, found playful mm. and fun. You know, I'm dreaming of going back to my Afrobeats and dance hall class, and I've been doing it at home on Zoom, but it's not quite the same as going into the room and just twirling around, is it? So we can still take a moment to pause and, and think on this with purpose, with intention to mm. think, actually, when I have the opportunity, I will go and have an ice skate or I will go and shake my bum to to these rhythms. And that can mm -hmm. be really, really nourishing yourself for, for, for the moment. We know it's not going to last forever. This will eventually end. So coming to the end of this now, what sort of one tangible takeaway would you like to give the listeners? You know, often I ask people to give the listeners a, a permission to do something or a pressure they want to take off the listeners. What would you like to give them? I would I would just love to blow away this, this notion that, that taking care of yourself is somehow luxurious or self-indulgent. And it's, it's, it's the phrase, it's not me first, it's just me as well. Yeah. And it's taking care of our health and without our health, what do we have? And I really hope that that will help to let guilt just slide from your shoulders. You know, don't let it stop you in your tracks. It'll still be there. Let's, let's just make peace with that. But take good care of you. You know, that's, that's the message. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Susie, for coming on to speak to me. And again, we could speak for another hour, I'm sure. And where can we find you, Susie? What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. I'm loving the, the very genuine community there. So this is where I share a lot of demonstrations of tips and tools from all of my books. Mm. And I hope that that can be a, a real wellspring of inspiration for people. So please come and hang out with me there. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook if people prefer. And obviously my books is um, where you'll get all, all of the, the background to why I do what I do and how you can embrace it as well. Fantastic. And I'll put all of that in the in the show notes as well. But for people to just go for a Susie Reading and they will find you across the different platforms, uh, including your own uh, website is susiereading.co.uk. So That's I'll right. make sure that I'll put all that, all that down. Thank you again so much for coming uh, to speak to me. And I hopefully see you soon. Maybe we can connect over a coffee sometime soon. Take care of yourself, my lovely. What a great joy to anticipate. Thank you so much, Michaela. Much love. What a joy it was to speak to my friend Susie Redding on this episode around self-care for tough times. Understanding the motivation behind your self-care and not just doing that as a prescriptive thing. Must go for a run, must drink water, but actually choosing to do those things as a way to keep yourself fit, well and healthy. I've really, really enjoyed speaking to Susie about these topics and I'm sure we could talk for hours. If you want to hear more about these kind of things and understand more about the difference between self-care and self-compassion, you can also have a look at my new book that's coming out soon called The Lasting Connection. And this book teaches you to develop love and compassion for yourself as well as for your partner. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media. <laughs>